Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Mark Allen was once a professional Santa Claus, weren't you? Oh, what, at Debenhams, yeah, in 1976. So if, any, if anybody right. felt they were traumatized in Debenhams oh, yeah. in 1976 at the age of about four, he's the man. Get your money back. 35p it costs <laughs> to come to my Santa's Grosso. And if you're a girl, you've got a paint box or a skipping rope. And if you're a boy, you've got a plastic uh, train or, a, I thought rather a good present, actually, a small machine gun. Now, that's not sexist at all, is it? <laughs> <laughs> would that be allowed now? I don't think it Very would. Very doubtful. 35p. You listen to the Word podcast. We started already, oh. I think. And uh, with special guest, Claire Grogan. Yay! Yay! Literally, Claire Grogan. Actually, so here. exciting. Yes, it almost really sounds am. like zoo radio. Actually, it? <laughs> it does a bit, doesn't it? Are you excited, Claire? Uh, well, you can tell I'm excited. <laughs> I'm smiling even more than usual. Now, what we normally do is a bit of induction uh, procedure for anybody okay. new on the podcast. Oh, no. It's not, not hard. It's not hard. There's no right or wrong answer. No, no wrong okay. answer. What records did your mum and dad have when you were a little kid? What records were in the house playing when you were little? What do you remember? Well, the thing that comes straight to mind is MacArthur's Park. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, Richard Harris. Yeah, Richard Harris. Someone uh, left a cake out in the rain. Yeah, that one. Absolutely. Yeah, I can always remember that one being on. My mum absolutely loved Herb Albert. And I did think and there was... And you on a bra. Yeah. And I thought there was a post... I mean, she really loved him. And I got to the point where I was genuinely concerned that she might bump into him down at the co-op one day. And, <laughs> he was often there, you know, wasn't he, Herb? And it, <laughs> Herb might whisk her off her feet. And that would be mum gone. I mean, it used to. I used to honestly worry about things like that. Well, seriously, she had a kind of... She used to sit and watch him on the telly and think... There's a man. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Did she have pictures Clint of Eastwood. up on a wall anyway? Clint Eastwood was her big favourite as well. Oh, my um, God. Not, no, not really. But actually, my mum and dad were really big music fans, particularly my dad. I mean, my dad, uh, uh, 
there's a photo at home of my dad standing outside some old cinema in Glasgow, the ABC or something, waiting to go in and see Bill Haley and the Comets rock and roll. Oh, so your dad was a dude. Oh, that's brilliant. No, actually he wasn't, but I mean he was really, really into music and he got his friend to take his photo of him, like waiting to go in and see the film. Because it just fantastic. opened. So you didn't, you didn't have the Billy Fury hair colour or anything no, like that? didn't have the great jacket, it was just no. kind of regular bloke. Yeah, but he was took just an very regular Did he have a knife in his hand for the slashing of seats? <laughs> yeah, so. of course. That's no. why he was going. So you had loads of records. <laughs> no, this is really yeah. unusual. You had loads of records. Lots and lots of records. I mean, I can still remember the wee record player we had, you know, just like you, you put the arm over and... Was it a dance, yeah, set? dance set? Yeah, it was probably a dance set. Yeah, you it, racked up about three records at once, pressed the button, that's it all right. clatter down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah we loved it. And my dad, actually, every so often when he got a little bit merry, would sing Rolling Stones songs. So I became a bit of a Rolling Stones fan. What did he do in the actions? A wee did bit. Did he go, well, all right. Did he wave bit. his finger? Yeah, he, he got a wee bit carried away and we'd all be like, right, okay, that's really embarrassing. <laughs> Stop right now, Dad. Dear God, that is I can't imagine I've ever been young enough to have a father. No, nor could I. Did impressions, no. you know, I used to yeah. be the one who was encouraged to do the impressions myself for family parties. Oh, were you? What, of Mick Jagger? Were you yeah. wheeled on to do it a little time? I was. I think I actually... Oh, God, you've got to go oh, down a slippery good. slope now. I like I that. think I was actually bought a pair of maracas. <laughs> what, to <laughs> aid your Mick Jagger Can impersonation? You don't think just... <laughs> 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 That's so that's true. Well, so the you know, the, the, I think I wanted a drum kit, oh. and you know nobody was going to pay for a drum kit, or, or you know find the room for it, or tolerate the noise of it. So instead, I think at Woolworths, <laughs> I think I'm right in saying my great aunt Sarah went and bought me a pair of maracas because she's seen Mick Jagger. Okay, this is brilliant. Playing I've known you for 31 years. <laughs> So just, I want to be absolutely clear. So at the end of it, well, this is after a sort of soiree. Your, your parents had a sort of, a sort of dinner to, party. No, no. Were they having sticky drinks? It's in things? Yorkshire, nobody had dinner parties. All right, well, they, you know, uh, pie tea. No, yeah. pie tea. There have been a, a Welsh tea. rabbit Not and a cup of milk. Pie tea. Pie tea. A cream horn and a milky tea and then to bring on our David. Our David. So desperate to show off so early. Prepared to undergo that humiliation. Did you? Well, I was going to say, it's the absolute tragedy of the fact that you wanted a drum kit and you got maracas as some kind of consolation prize. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's cheap, isn't it? That was life it's, it's in those days. Yeah, it was no, traumatised. I, I wanted a pony and I got a goldfish. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, he's always felt aggrieved. Yeah. And now, whereas I, if anybody wants a drum kit nowadays, they are bought a drum kit, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not saying this is a kind of grudging Edwardian father or anything like that. No, I'm not. But the fact is that people can afford drum kits. Drum kits are quite cheap, yeah? People will tolerate them. I've, I've bored people on this podcast before about the fact that, you know, both my next-door neighbours have drum kits. You know what I mean? Everybody's got drum kits down my road. My know? husband, Stephen, is because he was originally a drummer. Um, and was he the guitarist in the group? Yeah, he was the guitarist, yeah. but he was a drummer originally, and um, he realised that the drummer was never, ever taken seriously, and being an earnest young man, he decided he had to swap instruments. But he's just recently got his drum kit out and put it up at home. And the best bit is actually all the kids that come to our house who are upstairs pretending to be in oh, a band, yeah. which I absolutely love. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, little a ones. proper band, yeah. They're all well, like four-year-olds go upstairs and pretend to be a man. Ah, uh-huh, yeah. 
They're really into it. How do you pretend to be a drummer if you're four? You just you throw the sticks you're across the like room and go... You're just like banging away. That's right. Well, we, it seems like the instrument that you could play, and yet it's the hardest. It but the great is. thing about the drums is you can be a bit of an animal. You can be a yeah. bit of a mentalist, got you, yes. on the drums. Yeah. be a bit crazy. <laughs> See, whenever <laughs> I got near a proper tradition. drum kit, I was always rather frightened of the noise they made, because for years... <laughs> you're happy with years, your maracas, Dave. Yeah. For years... <laughs> That was the maximum volume yeah. allowed. When you finish, for <laughs> uh, years I used to pretend to be Charlie Watts or Ringo Starr or, or Michael Clark out of the birds with uh, two uh, large, heavy gauge knitting needles got from my mother's That's good. You know, knitting basket. Yeah, um, and a bunch of pillows put on the edge of the bed in the in, you know the shape yeah. of the, the yeah. really there, distribution of a snare drum. At, Top, top, How old were you? About eighteen. That's right. <laughs> uh, and uh, and so on the rare occasions when I got to touch a real drum kit, I was actually terrified of the yeah, noise, you yeah. know, because you were not expecting it to be like that. Great so, to choose Charlie Watts though, as the big drummer. The what? Sorry, Charlie Watts as a role model because he never said anything, did he? He was very quiet. That's what I liked about him. Oh right, okay. Tatty turn. Yes, tatty turn. And the stiff collar shirts. That's stiff what I also liked. Oh yeah. The word. Claire, I've got to ask you. I've got, I've got, to, I've got to attempt to substantiate various things. Okay. Um, because we've, we've all learned recently the difficulty of trusting things from Wikipedia, haven't we, Mark? Yes. We've learned we have. People can in. stick up anything on that. Well, David and I, I don't like... want to talk about this, because we'll only encourage it, but David and I, have, but there's no other word for it, we've been vandalised. <laughs> <laughs> we've been vandalised. It's so faced It's absolutely appalling. <laughs> It's not fair, yeah. is it? Uh, no, it's no, no, no. I didn't even know I had a Wikipedia site yeah. until David showed me this on the podcast the other week. It's not a site, Marcus Bates. Well, it's not a site, sorry. I'm not very good, <laughs> not very good <laughs> at the interweb. Yeah, we were talking about last week, or the week before, we are talking about apparently it's currently fashionable to, when somebody prominent dies, to very quickly hack into their Wikipedia page, change a couple of things, nothing harmful, in the hope that it gets picked up by the obituaries in the series papers. Have a look when you get home. On Saturday, <laughs> on Saturday when, when Humphrey Littleton's death was announced, oh. Saturday, Saturday morning, yeah. I looked quickly at Wikipedia entry, and sure enough, he pointed out the true fact that, you know, Bad Penny Blues was pinched by the Beatles and made into Lady Madonna, and that he's played with Radiohead. But also it's pointed out that he wrote the original opening theme for Moby Dick by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I thought that's somebody brilliant. has been no, in there. That's that. brilliant because it's almost credible, isn't it? Somebody had been in there. They said he shared a studio or something yeah. like that. He knew John Paul Jones or whatever. And he came up with the original idea for Moby Dick. And so if anybody is able to find, you know, that's turned up in the Telegraph obituary or, or the Guardian or whatever, do let us know. It's, I love the idea of Moby Dick playing on a trumpet, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd probably quite like that, though, wouldn't he? I think he's. Oh, glad. he'd be absolutely thrilled. Yeah. He I'm would. Sure the idea. It's a bit naughty, but it's kind it of. Is. That's all it is. Nobody's Just getting hurt. Oh yeah, so no so children weird. or animals. Yeah, there's nothing harmful. Yeah. Exactly. So you went to his last gig, didn't you? It wasn't his last gig, tragically. It was the one before last. Should I just say it was his yeah, last? Yeah, go on. Yeah, do it. Should I say it's a better story? I did because it's a better story. I just hope it comes used to play. Did you ever see him, Claire? No. Did you ever see his radio program? Well, yeah. Ever see his radio? Ever see his radio? Hear them, but. I don't know that much about him, I have to be really honest. He's just, I just thought he was the most wonderful man. And I went to see him, it was on the 11th of February, and he plays in the local pub, or did play, at the Bull's Head in Barnes, just around the corner, across the river from where I live. And I took along my 86-year-old mother-in-law, who is a year older than him, uh, Humphrey's 85, I think, and uh, has absolutely been obsessed with him all her life. It was just one of those wonderful things where they got to meet, and she was just... 
I think she regarded him as a bit of a toy boy, actually. You know, this guy was a year younger than her. He was a frisky. And they've got a great photograph of the two of them, sort of chatting and he's signing all these records for her. And I just thought he was just the most marvellous man. And he, he played one more concert after that, which apparently he showed signs of being just a little bit slower and a little bit yeah, yeah. Um, suffering his various ailments. But he, and the night I saw him, which was only six weeks before he died, he was absolutely astonishing. He did the same joke he's done every time. I've seen him four or five times. Which he talks about, um, for some reason, I can't remember how he tees it up, but he says, um, have you ever shooed a horse? To one of the members of the group. This is... No, but I've told a pig to piss off. And, and that's the kind of level of, of, of kind of innocuous humour which goes down really well. six-year-old man. I love that. It's, again, nobody gets hurt, do they? No, no, no. It's very sweet. It's extraordinary. Kevin. But there's something really nice about somebody who's quite clearly, obviously, very, very bright, who oh, has yeah, a yeah. sense of silliness. Yeah, yeah. I think Completely. it's really underestimated silliness. But, oh, absolutely. No, but the bizarre thing that used to get me was with I'm sorry I haven't a clue was that he was the only person I've known be utterly hilariously funny by clearly reading a script. Yeah. yeah. You know, he was, those jokes were about Samantha and so forth were all written for him by yeah. some very, very clever writers. And he, they were just provided with that script once a week and he just, he just read it. Absolutely but it's, it's a different level of entertainment, isn't it? It's like Round the Horn. That's the only thing that's, that's similar in that you had a presenter who kind of sat there and read a script. But the thing is that Kenny Thorne was the straight man, but the gags were... They were still there. Yeah, I suppose there is also the idea that if you're going to have a really rude, you know, really rude piece of content, the straighter the delivery of that <laughs> yeah. content, the more innocent, strangely, it, it becomes. Is Can I true? read one out? Go I've on, just got do one that. Here. I've got a little piece of paper that was so funny. It's when they were doing uh, the radio show from presumably somewhere near, near Eton, and he says, uh, according to my guide notes, Eton's most famous former pupils include the Duke of Wellington. William Gladstone, George Orwell, and Humphrey Littleton, the jazz musician and panel game host. Brackets. Wait for audience applause to die down. <laughs> Close brackets. They don't say what those other three are famous for. <laughs> just so good. Yeah. You know, you know, you know the story about VA, VE Day and Humphrey Littleton. No. This is really good. This is a fantastic way to go down in history. Okay, so at the end of the war, he was he was an army officer. He was in the guards, wasn't he? I think. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And he happened to be in London on VE Day, and so he took his trumpet and joined the crowds milling round, you know, wherever they milled, Piccadilly Circus, the Mall, yeah. and so forth. And uh, when, you know, Churchill and the royal family appeared on the balcony of, of Buckingham Palace to you know, accept the acclamation of the crowd, you can hear on the newsreel, <laughs> in, right in the distance, you know, you can hear Moby Dick. Trying the very early stages of Moby Dick. That is fantastic. Isn't that fantastic? That is absolutely brilliant. But I, yeah. I read that story in the, the Observer's Day bit, and the thing that was weird about the Observer's Day bit was it was written by George Malley. Yeah, well, yes. So obviously they had it. I mean, it oh, said it had it written. You know, yeah. it, it, yeah. this has been updated since yeah. George Malley's death. This is too good an opportunity to, to allow it to go by to tell my story about Frankie Howard and Benny Hill. Go on. Do you I know this? this one? Go on. Frankie Howard and Benny Hill died the same weekend. Oh, God, yes. Okay. Oh, my Lord, yes. And, uh, okay, Frankie's death was announced first. And um, they uh, got various quotes from showbiz mates or whatever, much missed, blah, blah, blah. One of them from Benny, you know, from his agent. Benny was, heard the news, it was very sad. Yeah. What, a, what a great, what a great yeah. 
The nation's <laughs> you lost. You know where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, nation, nation's he lost. He strode like a behemoth <laughs> across the international stage. Like a colossus. <laughs> a colossus, sorry. Who made his wings? The truth was that Benny had already been dead. He turned his toes up, didn't he? When Frankie died. Yeah. Because Danny, Benny died tragically alone in, the, in a... In a, in, a, in a flat in Shepparton, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah. Surrounded by his money. Um, and, you know, lived a life of a recluse and body wasn't discovered until neighbours. Agent just doing his yeah. job, though. Agent just doing, doing what so agents never, do. Anything that's, ever said, anything that's ever said, you know, in the wake of a, a you know, prominent death, you know, the agent said, I think I was thinking, mm, mm. that's... That's faintly dodgy. That, it is that a bit. can't be true. I think it just all boils us back down to the simple fact that you simply cannot believe a single thing you read in any magazine or paper. As Not we, if it's based on Wikipedia. I think you're not including <laughs> Word magazine in this, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Rigorous actually, research. That is true because um, the other day, the Today programme did a uh, feature on Paul Simonon's art exhibition, which has just opened this week. And the reporter said he took up painting. After the clash finished, he went straight. You know, he turned away from music and went straight back to art. And I thought, no, he didn't. He had that really bad band called Havana Eight Three AM, yes. yeah, which put out an album. I simply forgotten. Yeah, but you know, factually, that was inaccurate. And I just thought, Paul Simmons is not going to complain about that story. <laughs> by the way, I think he's quite happy with that. It's probably in his bio. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. I'm going to test these various factoids from Claire's Wikipedia entry. Oh, right, that's true. good. But, um, but before, we, before we go any further, I, I, just talking of apocryphal tales, we can't let the opportunity go by without giving a good kicking to the Elvis Presley Tommy Steele story. Oh, that's... Which is, <laughs> have you seen this? Now, for, the, for the benefit of anybody who may have missed this, Bill Kenwright's successful theatrical impresario and the owner of Everton Football Club, I think I'm correct mm-hmm. to say, um, old Liverpool hand... Um, gives interview to Radio 2 where he says it's not very well known that actually Elvis did visit England, London, once secretly to see my old mate Tommy Steele, who told me once that he was sworn to secrecy. That that basically that Elvis rang up Tommy Steele like that's ever going to happen. Did he bring him up supposedly because he thought he was a bit of an equal? Yes. That was the whole point. Tommy Steele tells the stories of Sad. Tell you what, if Elvis Presley comes to England, which he did, I can now reveal, who's the first person he's obviously going to ring? Who's number one on the road of it? Clearly, Tommy Steele, the heavy hitter. Exactly. It's absolutely preposterous. They wander around and have a look at the Houses of Parliament. Unnoticed. Unnoticed. Completely unnoticed. And Tommy Steele has had to issue a statement saying mm. I told that story in confidence I thought, it's, I, you know, I thought it would be respected while obviously thinking oh my god, god. I didn't really tell that story to Bill Kenwright did I really it's... and now he's gone and told somebody else so you see I think everybody has got a tall story or two mm-hmm. that they've told Yes. Which is yeah. going to come back and haunt them. Bite them right on the Which bottom. Is, <laughs> I've done this. I can't remember the details of any of the ones I've told, so I'm not in a position to kind of withdraw them. But you can tell when you've told them, because people stop and go, really? Yeah. You know what I mean? And you think, I, I might have enhanced that. Just yeah. a then, bit in much. order to get them to believe it, though, you have to carry on exaggerating <laughs> it massively. It gets worse and worse and worse. Because yeah, probably... Yeah. Probably what happened with Tommy Steele is, did I tell you, Elvis Presley once ran me up. He said, that never yeah. happened to him. Yeah. Why would he ring you? <laughs> well, he not only rang me up, he, he came to London, he came to the city. Absolutely. 
absolutely not. The bit that makes it so improbable is the fact that it's Tommy Steele, because for a Mm. moment, if it was somebody... That, he was even Cliff Richard, yeah, you'd, kind of. You'd Tom Jones. Yeah. Cliff Richard yeah. was a big yeah. star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tommy Steele was not, really. I've only I've got a Tommy Steele story, but it's a very oh, bitchy showbiz. That's and great. it might be really well known and already out there, but no, I have no, no, no idea. We'll be the judge of that. We're too polite. <laughs> we'll laugh really whatever. Because I, I, I've never... Th- I've always been kind of suspicious of him, in a way, because, you know, when you're young and you watch those musicals and there's just something about him, you're thinking, I don't... I'm not sure. But anyway, um, this um, I was working in, I can't remember where it was. It was. I was doing a play and the stage manager had just come off when um, he was doing Singing in the Rain in uh, the Palladium. And he told me that the, the backstage crew really enjoyed urinating in the water tank every night before Tommy went on. So that when they did the rain sequence when he was doing this thing, they were basically... This is right up they were basically, Van Morrison's story. They were basically pissing on him every night. It such... pissed on Tommy still. I want to believe that story, Dave. It's, yeah, it's he like, wasn't um... really popular, I have to say, yeah. with him. It's backstage revenge, isn't it? It's, yeah, luckily you had a brolly for the dad, uh-huh. da, 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 presumably. But can you imagine uh-huh. that real urine pouring out of the room? I hope Tommy's not listening. And he's <laughs> I'll make sure he Just is in it. case, anybody, you know, th- this podcast is listened to more people all the time, isn't it, Matt? You know, sign up for it on wordmagazine.co.uk. That there must be some people who have never heard the Van Morrison <laughs> harmonica story. <clears throat> Which Claire now gives me an excuse to tell, yeah. doesn't she, Matt? She, she certainly does. That Van Morrison enjoyed a similar relationship with his band. <laughs> as Tommy Steele. Really do this. As Tommy Steele enjoyed <laughs> with his backstage. And, uh, and uh, Van used to see, sang and played the harmonica. But he was notoriously late for rehearsals. And when he used to arrive for rehearsals, he used to go to the jets and so forth. It would just take ages. So the band were always, you know, just used to being treated terribly. And apparently... <laughs> Yeah. <coughs> and uh, and the story goes that they used to well amuse themselves while waiting for Van to turn up by going to his bag of harmonicas. Which <laughs> the microphone. No. <laughs> Claire's going. <laughs> Claire's getting a coat. <laughs> and and they would they would uh, nominate somebody to go to the gent and <laughs> to pass. Said harmonica. Use the terminology. You've got to use the terminology here. <laughs> the correct terminology. Pass the harmonica a- along his anal cleft. <laughs> <laughs> and then return it to the bag of harmonica. <laughs> and then if you want to go further, Van would turn up and say, sorry I'm late. You know, what do you want to do first? Oh, let's do an instrumental. So they want to see. No, D. No, E. <laughs> Oh, oh God, so anyway, Tommy Steele, Van Morrison, God. Uh, okay, Wikipedia. You were discovered by Bill Forsyth while waitressing. That's right, yeah. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. He's yes. sitting there. He's. Uh, yeah, he used to, I used to have a part-time job at a restaurant called The Spaghetti Factory in Glasgow after school and on a Saturday, and Bill used to come in, and it was Halloween, and I was dressed up as a Latin American ballroom dancer. I don't know why. And, as, um, as you do. As you do for Halloween. And yeah. he said, I am making a movie next summer and I'd like you to be in it. And how old were you? 17. Oh. So what, you it's, went home? Now, I want to know. I want to know yeah. exactly what you so did. You went back and told your parents. You said, look, take your Tijuana brass record. <laughs> I've got something to tell you, right? All right? And that is, I've just met a lovely older man who wants to put me in the movies. <laughs> 
At which point they called the police. And said, no, what happened? I mean, uh, well, I basically said, well, um, I was obviously deeply suspicious, but um, I did say, well, you know where I am if, if you want me. And about six months later, he called the manageress, a lovely girl called Sandra Payne, and she said to me, you know that guy Bill Forsyth, he is making the film and he does want you to be in it and he wants to meet you to talk to you about it. And, and this was, this was Gregory's girl. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, I thought he was he was talking camcorder back at his place. <laughs> yeah, bring your school uniform. <laughs> <laughs> so you were bitterly disappointed yeah. <laughs> when it turned it out you're unprofessional. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> oh, yeah so that's true. That is true. So yeah, Gregory's girl mm-hmm. still casts an incredible smell, yeah. doesn't it? I think so. Yeah, I mean, for a very long time, I found it quite difficult because it was just. You know, could everyone please get over it? But then I realised that was never going to happen. And sort of, I feel really quite sort of nostalgic about it now. And I'm really delighted that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really good friends with John Gordon, who played Gregory. And, you know, I don't know if you said, because, you know, I think Bill has become a bit sort of, um, I don't know how to describe it, because I haven't spoken to him for a while, but he, he seems to be going through his phase of wishing people would get over it. Right. Now, you know, because he, you know, the last interview, it was all a bit, yeah, they were, you know, there's a bit more to me than that, you know, and there is, obviously, but certainly people, you know, I don't know, people just really like the film. And you can't, you can't do anything about what people think, can no, you? No, you can't. You can't talk well, them It's like it. you wrote that wonderful article in, in Word about four or five years ago now, right at the, uh, at the beginning when we launched, do you remember, about Red Dwarf, yeah. which is so amazing. Because you were in Red <laughs> yes, Dwarf. Yeah. I can't remember how many episodes you were in, but you were uh-huh. in for a while, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. That was quite a, quite a strong, uh-huh. identifiable character. Yeah. And now you, you went to this... Red Dwarf fanfare, yeah. didn't you? Convention. 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 And it was right. just, just, there's a queue about a mile long, wasn't yeah. it? Just I mean, I honestly, I, I still, on a weekly basis, get letters from um, Red Dwarf fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, it, and I really did think, gosh, I really need to, well, I think I spoke to you about it, and you said, why don't you go? And I, it never occurred to me to actually go to one of the conventions, and I did, and it was hilarious. I mean, it was like... I don't know. Think, I don't about, know. think about what you're going to say now, because you might be drying up loads of future employment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> so you were behind a table, what, signing autographs, having your pictures taken with... Yeah, I, honestly, I, it was up at the NEC, and I took a book with me to read, because I thought, well, what on earth am I going to be doing? And That's I, very well, you thought oh, you are modest. What, you thought you were just <laughs> yeah. twiddling your thumbs <laughs> yeah, while honestly, everyone queued up to see Craig and Charles? Honestly, after nine hours uh, of just, like, meeting lots of interesting people <laughs> and signing all bits and pieces for them. Yeah, no, it was good. No, honestly, I actually, I kind of thought, I know this is going to sound corny, but I really thought I need to meet these people who write to me every week. I need to know who these what people are. What do they are. say when they write to you? They just love the whole Kachansky thing. But, of course, the funniest Kuchansky, bit, which I remember now what the article was, the people that had organised it thought it was a fantastic idea to sit, sit me next to the girl, the actress that had replaced me <laughs> in the series. Nice, nice. Um, Nobody queuing up for her yeah, at all. I mean, girl <laughs> Chloe. And, um, no, and it was just so funny. It was really funny that he thought it would be really nice for the two Kachanskis to sit side by side. And, and actually, it was really nice because poor Chloe was obviously terrified of 
of what could happen. Yeah, yeah. But didn't want to say, maybe I should be at one end and yeah. Claire could be at the other. So we did actually sit together and we had a really nice time together. But I still, I really wish I'd kept the letter that Ed By, who's a really well-known director. Oh, yeah, wrote, Mr. Ruby Wax, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he, he wrote me a letter saying, we really value what you've done for the series, but we feel the Kachansky character should stay ever young. Did the same, did the same, over and out. Listen, I was on the eve of my 30th birthday when I got that letter, so I mean, talk about push me over the cliff edge. I was like, what do you mean? To me and Dave, they rang us up another day. So we met a guy called Andy Kershaw. Bye. No, seriously, <laughs> did they apply the same principle to the male members no, of the cast? That's they I didn't at all, did they? Them. You know, Craig Giles yeah. and whatever going on, yeah. absolutely uh-huh. forever. Yeah. yeah. Females traded in. You wouldn't get away with that now. There's no way a director could write an actress a letter that basically said you're too old. <laughs> you know? But still, would operate the same policy, presumably. But wouldn't yeah. put it in a letter. It, well, you would it never would be couched in, a letter, in a, yeah. a way that could be defended legally. Yeah. <laughs> so, Claire, no, serious point. Uh-huh. Serious point. Yeah. A serious point. Only. A serious point. <laughs> you, you, the mark uh, starts my, my theory. You got the right girl then. My theory is <laughs> that you have got more men in this country with the crush on you than any other female. You want to put it like that? <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely true. Of all kinds of ages. I, I was at, at John Peel's house once. I was staying the night there. I think I told you this before, actually. And uh, no, it was very touching. And he's got all these pictures on the wall of uh, all the people. I think it was in one of his parties. Maybe it was his 50th or something. Or 60th. I can't remember which it was now. And the most prominent was you in the middle. There was, you know, this Fiegel Sharky and a, and a few members of Half Men Off Biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> Helen and the Holmes, you know, but there, right in the middle of the most prominent picture, Claire Grogan. I, 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 I took him to task over this. Yeah. I said, look, I, I love Claire Grogan. You know, he said, I love him more. <laughs> I think that... This, and he won. I don't... I mean, it's actually really embarrassing, and I'm not just saying that it is embarrassing, but my theory is that I think that because I'm obviously don't strike people as the fussy type that you're in with a chance. <laughs> That's very nice to say about your husband. <laughs> yeah, I hope he's not listening. And I'm I mean, she not, married you know, a drummer. I'm not that all. special, really, so maybe, you know. So, I don't know. It's weird. I like it. It must be wonderful. You do like it, I don't you? I do, it's funny. It's You're really a false's favourite. That's yeah. our theory. Claire Grogan is one of those people painted on the tail thing. Yeah. So, oh, when you get a bit depressed or whatever, you think, never mind. Yeah, I know. I, can... I never think like that, honestly. I could never. I mean, I can't actually even have this conversation. It's too silly. Even by my standards. <laughs> so what are you... I, mean, I am fabulous, okay? Get over, <laughs> get it, over it, Move on. There's nothing to see, people. Nothing to look at. Oh, uh, well. So, uh, what do you... I want to know about playing Wembley Arena. Oh, God, yeah. I, yeah, think, yeah. I remember when you... Uh, yeah, I think it was around the time we were interviewing you for the magazine, yeah. about two or three years ago. And you, you were talking about wanting to play Wembley. Mm-hmm. Because it was one of those 80s package talks. Yeah. You know, and I just... I always wanted to know what it was like. I thought you'd be the kind of person you could explain it. Because if you ask the average pop star, yeah. they're a bit defensive about it. They get across the whole experience professionally. I thought you might have I a honest, people's view. I cried. I honestly cried with emotion that day just because it was ridiculous to me that at age 40, I was going to get up and sing Happy Birthday. And, po- and I, the whole thing was basically because I'd had, I really, really wanted to pop out of a birthday cake, a giant birthday cake, 
that was my whole thing at that point. I thought, hey, that's something that I've never had the chance to do. This could give me the opportunity to do it. That is fantastic. And, I mean, I, I can remember because we started off at, in, in Newcastle Arena. And I was honestly sitting in, I was sitting in the inside the cake. Inside your cake. <laughs> thinking, <laughs> what if it doesn't open? Wheeled on stage, having a panic attack, thinking, what the... Am I doing? See, what a, am I doing? If we had a trail for this podcast, it'd just be the lines. So there I was at Newcastle Arena, yeah. sitting inside, inside my cake. cake. <laughs> no, my cake. I think it was. I kind of, you know, suddenly it became real. That nanosecond before I went on stage, and it became real. And I thought, this, what, what, what? And I, I'm not just saying this. I really, honestly thought there was going to be an embarrassment moment where they were going to go clear. Please get out the cake. Yeah. Ed like, in yeah. the wings. He's got, he got a letter for you. Yeah. yeah, it's been updated. I was working with two fabulous girls because I also wanted to make it as camp as I possibly could, obviously. And I had two great girls working with me, Charlotte and Melanie. And I really there did. were three of you in the cake. No. That would have been cosy. No one's done that before. Um, but yeah, no, it was weird. It was. I mean, I, I think I've, I genuinely have become, dare I say, more sentimental about what I did as a very young girl because at the time, obviously, I, I was just doing it. And then when you get the chance to sort of reflect on it, I, I do think it was quite. It was kind of. Good. <laughs> it was really good. And why shouldn't you feel uh, sentimental about it? It was kind of good. Absolutely. And, and I thought the chance to revisit it. Um, and it probably came at a point in my life where I, uh, there was an awful lot of sort of in, intense grown-up stuff going on. And, yeah. I, and Stephen said to me, Claire, just do it. You might actually have a really good laugh. And I did, because I got to sing again. And I think that singing is very good for your soul. So who were you, who were you preceded by? Was it, was it Howard Jones before you and no, ABC uh, after? I can't or something? remember. Human League were on that show. The Human, Human League, League were on. Of they course, were great. they were headlining. Yeah, they, they were yeah. great. And Kim Wilde. I mean, Kim is the big pool in these tours, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, she's... Yeah, it was funny. And what is really lovely is just the fact that, you know, 25 years ago when we were all sitting backstage at Top of the Pops or whatever... None of us could even look at each other. We were so, like, shy. Yeah. And kind of, like, not able to be socially... You know, we were all socially inept, basically, because we were a bunch of school kids. And uh, now it was, it was interesting, because we actually could sit down and talk to each other for the first time. So did you come you on know? for a massed ranks rendition of Don't You Want Me or something <laughs> yeah. at the end? Did you all come back, the full no, cast? No, I have to say, bless him, Phil Oakey was having none of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As you can imagine. Why doesn't that surprise me? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so let's go back. You burst out this tape, this cake, kind of bawling with tears. Yeah. That yeah. must have like really been a bit of a downer, wasn't it? Singing happy birthday. Yeah, the spotlight hits you, and your mascara is so running, well, and you're I sobbing. mean, I just had that Judy Garland lightning yeah. flash moment where I'm thinking, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's fun, and I do. Since then, I've done. I do three shows a year. And that's it. No, on, right. on one of these packages? Uh -huh, yeah. Still with the old cake? You no, take, take actually, your own cake. Oh, you second actually, cake now, or third I, cake? I, I, How do you make a cake like that? <laughs> yes. Oh, I once saw the Rolling Stones come out of a giant mechanical yeah. flower. I was quite impressed, actually. Uh, can I... I thought you were going to say macaroon. A macaroon? <laughs> giant macaroon. <laughs> giant macaroon. No, that wouldn't work. Giant Eccles cake. Yeah. Eccles I cake, actually yeah. spent my entire fee on the cake. 
<laughs> but is that is there any bit of it? Is I really did. No, did no. They don't I even mean, make a sponge top for you to kind of pop up and pop through. It was made by a prop master, and it was like a really beautifully constructed thing. But I basically blew my whole budget on the cake. <laughs> Where's the cake when it's not operational? Well, where is the cake? It's Where's like not? Right? Is it in a, a massive lockup? Uh-huh, it's, it's resting in Ritz rehearsal studios. So it's like, so it's, like, so it's, like it's like Blue Monday. It's like New Orders twelve inch. You blew all of your money. Yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. pay money every money. time you use the cake. Yeah. So you can never make a profit. Yeah. No matter how big a venue you play, it's bringing cakes Not making a profit seems to be a you know um, a contractual condition of everything I do. It's like <laughs> anything anyone, in the music business. Am I going to make money in it? No. Okay, I'm in. So I'm in. Doing my cake. So you do what? Three, how many songs do you do? I do seven songs. Right. Yeah, and um, do you do a new which one? one? Uh, no. <laughs> you don't do this from a new Okay, it's new material. <laughs> Hope you like this one. Mass sound of people going off to buy a cheeseburger. I open with I open with Dead Pop Stars. Right. Which is our first um you know, our first single um back in the day and it's great. Yeah, which no, one did you do last, Claire? <laughs> we save that happy birthday moment for that thing. Oh, so you can get back in the cake. No, 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 I don't Holy do it. Jesus, this is getting <laughs> logistically complicated. I couldn't run it. Yeah, in the cake, out of the cake. In the cake. Christ, I can't keep on. So when, when are you next doing one of these? Have you got anything you want to plug? Yeah, well, I mean, I am doing three shows over the summer because now we go to these really nice, big, uh, stately homes oh and do these concert picnics. So you basically, everybody spoils you like rotten. You get treated like J-Lo for an evening. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. you know, next day it's back to budgeons. So who are you doing the Stately Homes with? Same crew, uh, well, two of Banana Rama and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. Nick, let's see if we name who's on the bill. Two of Banana Rama. Oh, we'd be on the Okay, I would have thought Nick Hayward has got to be involved, isn't he? Nick Hayward. Nick, Nick Hayward. Nick Hayward. Okay. Different class. Favorite and Nick shirt. complete. Oh, is it? Okay, I'm a big fan. What, of one missing. I thought you say I was a big fan. Of Nick oh, Hayward. yeah, he was terrific. I thought. I want. I have to bonkers, Nick. I don't know why, but is he still bonkers? Nick Hayward. He is a dream boy. He's really is lovely. He? I like him enormously. He's very. He actually married a girl that I was at school with, which was no so. Yeah, wow. so I do see Marion as well. Um, although they're not together anymore, but she comes to the shows with their kids, and that's. Are the China really Crisis on board? The China. I've met the only once have I met the China Crisis and the <laughs> since. Yeah, <laughs> it's very funny. What about VOMB? Steve Strange. Honestly, one of the things that yeah Steve Strange not this time he did do yeah he's very very lovely Steve my lord the Welsh dresser the original Welsh dresser does he still wear those outrageous hats Mm. I have to tell you though I bet he wishes he had a cake when anyone ever mentions (laughs) Nick Herschel I feel really mean because uh, years ago um, it was I was asked to give the award for the best band at the Brits and it was Duran Duran, and at that point, I was in love with John Taylor, like everybody else. Hey, so, take a ticket. I think yeah. he did one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was cute when he was and so, Yeah, he was. So anyway, I was like, this is my big opportunity. He's going to see me there. It's all going to be marvellous. We're going to get married, have lots of cute children, the whole thing. And um, when we got there, because it wasn't like the slick event that it is now, <laughs> so you can imagine... And um, they said to me just before you arrive, literally you get there and you go, like, you're going to step on stage, do this, fine. The thing is, Duran Duran can't make it tonight, but Nick Kershaw is going to pick up the <laughs> award. Oh, my God. And I was like, 
Broken. I was. I nearly broken. walked out. The old waterworks. I practically threw the award at him. I wonder if that's on YouTube. That's appalling. The award will be picked up by a man in a snood. A man who wore a snood. Snood, yeah. Four foot too high. So what else are you doing? Major project, child rearing. Yeah, well, that's been lovely, I have to say. My beautiful daughter, um, that's great. And it's been all consuming. But when she started saying to me at home, Daddy work, Mommy wine. I realised <laughs> it was time to get that back to work. Brilliant. That's a terrific arrangement. That's a great headline. Yeah. Does it work? Fantastic piece for Mary Claire. It is. Daddy work? Mummy work. So I'm like, yeah, Superb. I need to get back out there. So, um, I don't know. It sounds great. so brilliant to me. Yeah, I've, I've been doing lots of acting, which was great. Um, last year I did a sitcom for the BBC called Legit. And I was had a tiny wee bit in Wedding Bells, the Urban Walsh uh, oh, drama yeah. for Channel 4, and also did a couple of other dramas for Channel 4 and a comedy for Channel 4 called The Smallest Game in Town, which was great. And coming up, another comedy drama for Channel 4, I'm not, I won't say Channel 4 anymore, I feel like a plug now, really? called Emo, um, which is great. I play a teacher, but the lovely thing is, I mean, I'm not playing the leads, I'm playing the mums, it's called emo. Yes, emo. Is it about emo, the musical genre? Yeah, it, it, well, it's, well, it's a, either that or emo. I was going to just wondering, or else a bloke with a strange. You mean bird, you're being cast as mum? I'm mum or the teacher, and in emo, I play the teacher of the boy who's. I mean, it's quite a complicated story, but it's very funny. But it's about this older guy who's like got all this promise at school blows it completely and then goes back to his hometown and I was his old teacher and yeah it's it's very funny actually. So Claire really Green is playing mums. I am. Didn't you go well, I think there's going to be a lot of smash hits readers are going to suddenly feel you know yeah. mortality in his clammy hand on their shoulder. Listen not only that in the BBC uh, sitcom that I did last year my son in it was 26 years old and I could have a son that's 26. God. Well, I'm going to have to think about the That's implications of that, really, aren't it's you? It's not fair, but it's fine. It's good. I of like that. It's, it's just like natural, isn't it, Dave? The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. I've got, I, I've got it. Sorry, go on. Well, I'm writing a book. Are you doing it? Um, I've got about your life? down here. I said, Is write your life? a book. No, it, well... I've been saying this for years. Yeah, you have, and I can't bear the thought of doing that, but I was approached at the beginning of this year to write some girls' novels. So I've decided to kind of use... Girls' novels? Yeah, little girls' novels, basically. And um, I don't know why, I was felt quite insulted, actually, that they wanted to do big girls' novels. It's you anyway, and Jerry Halliwell. Well, it actually, Is that what she's doing? She's, she's gone for a younger audience. My, I'm doing a series of three books. And what age group are you writing Eight for? to eleven. So it's lovely. So, but it's 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 called the Adventures of Tallulah Gosh, schoolgirl oh, pop star. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's about this girl at school who's in, who decides to have a, who's in who dreams about being in a band, and then before you know it, it's happening, and she's in the band, blah blah blah. But anyway, that is enormous fun because I can use my own experiences of because the thing about Altered Images was the band that I was in was. We really were innocent. We were unbelievably innocent, you know. So actually, the book would be quite dull. It's like, the, no, there were no drugs, or <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody did get wasted, or you know, came off so stage. There's actually went back no Came off stage, did some revision, yeah. had an apple. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
um, well, it's, it wasn't all squeaky clean, but you know, in the early days it was. So I just thought it'd be quite nice to use those sort of early experiences and turn it into something that would inspire little girls. Yeah. What's the derivation of Tallulah Gosh? Because it's a complicated story, isn't it? Well, I wanted to change my name to Tallulah Gosh, and it was Bill Forsyth who talked me out of it. But was that already existing as a name that somebody had used at some stage, or you invented it? I invented it. Oh, right, okay. But then, of course, there was a band band called Tallulah Gosh. Right. Yeah. You'd think it'd been there forever, like Holly Golightly or something. Yeah, it sounds I like one of those things that was from yeah. American fiction in the 20s. I loved Tallulah. I was, an, I was really quite strange when I was young, and I loved all the silent movie stars. So I loved, and, and I, but I loved um, Tallulah, Go- Tallulah, Tallulah Bankhead, Bankhead. Yeah, yeah. and Lillian Gish. Oh, but I, for some reason, I'd misspelt the. Lillian Gosh. <laughs> and I got like, Gosh. That's brilliant. So it came from there. And then there was already a clear Grogan inequity. And yes, that's why you're a CB Grogan, weren't you? Yeah. So I was going to change my name to Tallulah Gosh. And Bill said to me, you know, it might seem like a really good idea just now, <laughs> but you may not. Yeah, when you're in the National Theatre at the age I of I should 40. never have listened to him. I love it. So I'm finally getting to be Tallulah Gosh again. Oh, <laughs> so when are those coming out? October. Oh, well. We should look out for those, Mark. That is absolutely brilliant. That's a really good idea. I'm but so I still impressed. think you should write the proper book. Uh, yeah. The Word. Mark, have you got something you've got to say? No, I was just going to say well, that you know, if Humphrey Littleton was here, I think oh. what he'd probably say was, as he said on a very recent radio programme was, was when they were signing off, he said, well, as the vanquished charwoman of time begins to shake and vac the shag pile of eternity, I've noticed that we've run out of time. Which <laughs> <laughs> is such a lovely but thing to say. <laughs> Because I've got something I want to fling oh, yeah, in. Matt, have you, you haven't put the faders down or anything no, like that. No. I'm sorry, I have to refer to the, 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 the exchange that's been going on on the website, wordmagazine.co.uk, about, about curiously named uh, compilation records. That, uh, I mean, <laughs> full of this. That somebody wanted to know, is there such a thing as the living in a box box set? <laughs> and that somebody actually tells me that there is actually a rock set box set. <laughs> that's brilliant. Is this good? That's superb. And uh, and that the, the, there ought to be a Roxy Music box set called Boxy Music. Boxy Music. <laughs> so what was the thing you were telling me earlier that uh, the oh, that group, what they come out with called it? Split Knee Loons. There's a band called Split Knee Loons, and they're Americans. They've got an album called Loon Knee Tunes. <laughs> And somebody's waiting for like, Somebody's suggesting a compilation of Billy Bragg's tender side called Billy Love Songs. That's good. So you know, I think this should, this could this there it's Superb. a rich threat. These people should be in marketing. Uh, other things going on on the website. Uh, sorry, I've got to I've got to fling this in. Um, uh, football chants based on pop songs. You know, because we're speculating that nobody does this any longer, but not true at all. Apparently, that uh, at Liverpool, according to Steve Hill. Uh, they adapted Blame It on the Boogie, uh, and I won't attempt to sing it, but don't blame it on the Biscan, don't blame it on the Finan, don't blame it on the Haman, blame it on Treore. <laughs> and, and then and the final line was, he just can't, he just can't, he just can't control his feet. <laughs> There's also the Manchester United chant... Um, uh, based on that track Monster from last year, oh, yeah. which was uh, about uh, the uh, Serbian defender Nemanja Vidic with a, uh, who's that coming over the hill? It is Nemanja. It is Nemanja. <laughs> <laughs> I had a 
remember the, the McCluskey brothers who were part of the Bluebells. I don't you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah very but much. A few so. years ago, there was an, an, a player at Celtic called Decanio, and they they did a whole version. They recorded a whole version of D I Can I can't remember any more than that. But yeah, that was that was, a, it was, that that was yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that one. Apparently, it's frequently sung. Uh, uh, I predict a diet is frequently sung to overweight <laughs> players going over to take a corner, which I must yeah. confess. I've never heard. And, Can I tell uh, you my favourite of Queen's Park Rangers? Scottish goalkeeper Andy Gorham, who was diagnosed with schizophrenia towards the end of his career, cues sympathetic chance of there's only two, there's only two Andy Gorhams. <laughs> so my, my current favourite of Queen's Park Rangers is Tom Hark. You remember Tom Hark that the yeah. Piranhas did the a version Piranhas. of? That's the one, yeah. And they've got a new signing, I think it's Hungarian, called Buzaki. It's so complicated because it's actually a kind of internal dialogue. It goes something, I don't know if I can get this right, it goes something like, uh, what's his name? He says to me, I says to him, it's the white pelly, the white pelly, he says to me, but what's his name? It's Boozaki, Boozaki, boo, Boozaki, boo. Can you imagine this? 26,000 people go, boo. It's absolutely More like 13,000. Oh, right, yes, you're absolutely right. You've obviously been. Embellishing again. Yeah, yeah, embellishing, exactly. Trying to get you to believe me. <laughs> and I'll leave you with this one, which you can decide whether to fade out for legal reasons or not, that uh, Steve Turner sends us in. Is that after, after Delia Smith's wine-assisted outburst <laughs> for the Norwich fans to get behind the team, the following week they played Chelsea, and the champ for the visiting Cockneys was, we've got, we've got Abramovich, you've got a drunken bitch. To which, to which, the, reply, to which the reply came, you, we've got a super cook, you've got a Russian crook. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.